Hello hockey fans, this is Mike Chambers of the Denver Post. I am in Nashville, Tennessee. Flew here today uh, with the Avalanche are probably in route right now. And uh, the Nashville Predators host the Colorado Avalanche. Tomorrow here at Bridgestone Arena, I'm on the phone with Terry Fry, who uh, is back in Denver. My colleague. Mike, what time are you meeting Keith Urban and Nicole Kibben for dinner? <laughs> I knew you were going to bring that up immediately. I am going to Tootsie's. I am going to Margaritaville, and I haven't decided where I'm having dinner, but I will probably hit at least five honky tonks on Broadway before I uh, wrap it up. Okay. Do you have any suggestions, Terry? Uh, Rippy's on the corner there has great ribs and pecan pie. I'm familiar with Rippy's. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Obviously, I love this trip. Uh, I love Nashville. I love music, and uh, it's my kind of place. I got my cowboy boots, and I'm ready to go. Well, it is kind of fun, and we'll get to hockey here in a second. To go into those places and realize, you know, for the want of a break, these people are all waiting to be discovered. You know, yeah. they're all terrific in those places on is it Broadway? It's Broadway, isn't it? Yes, it's Broadway. And they're all terrific, and it really kind of uh, kicks my curiosity into high gear. Of, you know, how did how did the big time acts get discovered? And these people are sitting, playing in these places, waiting to be discovered. Well, these are the folks that are just a contract away, a deal away, from getting signed and making money. But these guys don't aren't paid by the bars. All no. they're just paid by tips, mm-hmm. and they they obviously pay play for tips and it's amazing because these are really talented people terry if you do tip generously don't you well i'll tell you what if they're a great band i'll pay for my five dollar beers but uh certainly at the end of a good set uh it's really easy to tip these guys because obviously they have to uh find a place to live here in nashville and, and 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 this is their passion their dream they come here to try to make it, and again, they are supremely talented, and you just want the best for them, and, uh, and you're pulling for them. Yeah, just like hockey players. Just like hockey players. You, uh, you, covered, for a segue? you covered practice. You might smoother what? You got practice today after covering last night's game against the L.A. Kings, a 2-1 loss to the Kings. Uh and you have some news about Eric Johnson, a story that you have online right now. Tell us about that. Well, Eric Johnson did, went through a full practice today in Burgundy, shedding the non-contact orange, and he really went very hard physical through the practice, like kind of the ultimate last test. And he said after practice that he's good to go. He's going to go on the trip. You'll see him there in Nashville. I don't know if you'll see him with Nicole or and Keith Urban, but he, you'll see him in Nashville, and he's going to skate down there, and he hopes. Well, no, he says he's going to play Saturday against Buffalo without any setbacks. Jared Bednar was a little more cautionary in saying that he that was the goal for Johnson to play Saturday against Buffalo. I do expect him to play. It would be 12 weeks on the nose, actually. And so uh, he, he his return to the lineup is him, and it really is ironic that it, comes, it would come five days after Nick Nikita Zadorov goes down with a broken ankle. You know, when it rains, the pours a little bit. And uh, so, but I, I do think Johnson will be back. I did ask him, Mike, and it's in the story. 
uh, whether they consider just shutting him down for the rest of the year. I mean, it's not like there's a whole lot to play for here. Maybe you want to be extra cautious, extra secure in knowing that the bone sealed and everything else. But I think they're they're pretty confident in that after 12 weeks. And, and it, Eric Johnson said no, he wouldn't wouldn't and didn't consider that. And you know, uh, the other thing I want to talk about, I did say uh, after the game last night, instead of going into the Avalanche dressing room and. Uh, joining the pack, I, I did talk to Peter Budai about Merrick Svatos. That, that's in the paper and online, kind of the game story from last night. And he said some very emotional things and, and touching things about Merrick Svatos. Obviously, two Slovaks who grew up together, played against each other in their homeland, and then were members of the Avalanche at the same time. That's uh, obviously a very, very sad story. And yeah, and contemporaries, they, they played together at Hershey, roomed together at Hershey. Uh, Merrick Svatos, of course, leaves behind a wife and two young children uh, in Lone Tree. And so, you know, it's a it's a very sad situation. And, you know, without getting into, without, and even as uh, Svatos said, you know, there's a, there's a point at which, you, don't, you know, it's the family's business and you don't want to dig too deep. But he talked about uh, what led to Merrick's death and his, his comments on it. So that that's online in you know, and Peter Budai is one of the terrific stories in the NHL. Absolutely. I mean, it's amazing when you think about it. He played the last two years in the minor leagues, former Avalanche goaltender for a long time. Really did not take advantage of his single season uh, a chance to be the, to cement the number one goaltending spot. But uh, he was a good soldier here for Colorado. And he's a good guy, and you really like to see him do well. It's going to be interesting to see what the Kings do when Jonathan Quick comes back in March. I mean, I, I imagine they'll just throw him in and play him uh, and consider him the number one goaltender, but Peter Budai deserves a little bit, uh, already a huge standing ovation for keep, keeping the Kings in the playoff hunt. Peter Budai allowed one goal last night, and I want to talk about that briefly because it was a superstar move by Miko Rantanen, who poke-checked the puck off of the stick of Drew Doughty, who per, is perhaps the best defenseman in the league in a lot of ways. But he poke-checked that uh, puck off Doughty's stick, goes in on a breakaway, and makes a perfect shot over Budai. Just real quickly, Mika Rantanen, this kid's got eight goals in his last 13 games. He is the biggest reason why Avalanche fans have something to look forward to. Am I right? Yeah. Uh, and I would say the other one would be Tyson Joseph. The, the faith the Avalanche have in him as a prospect is uh, is lived up to, and that's a question mark. Of course, he's hurt now at North Dakota. I think no, he's, he's back. He's, he's back. back. Yeah. Okay. And so th- those are a couple of the a couple of the uh, players. You know, and Randon has been terrific. You know, and that looks. You know, that does bring up the question, and we'll probably talk about this. I think it probably vindicates the Avalanche decision to leave him, to, to send him down to San Antonio last year, not getting into his entry-level contract, not, not getting that started, and leaving him down in there in the AHL to indoctrinate him to the North American game for an entire season. Now, there's some young players down in San Antonio now who are not making that transition from the European game to here. And so, but I, I still think ultimately uh, the decision not to kind of go uh, hell-bent and bring up all the kids. For, you know, and there's a lot of impediments to that uh, for other reasons, too, but I think it's going to be the right decision. Yeah. 
we can get more into that, but uh, real quickly, I want to just go over what we plan on talking about. Uh, Terry was on the uh, five-game trip, the season-long five-game trip back east where the Avalanche went one and four. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the trade deadline. We're going to talk a little bit about your number one ranked DU Pioneers and Avalanche uh, draft pick Will Butcher, the senior defenseman and team captain. Um, but let's go back to the uh, east eastern trip here, Terry. Um, obviously, it was a tough trip in terms of there was two back-to-backs there. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically, what uh, did you see from that that you can uh, talk about on this podcast? I didn't even well, introduce our I podcast. The, I, it, I thought one of the most interesting things was Jeremy Smith playing so well against New Jersey, making 37 saves and... Uh, keeping the avalanche in the game in a 3-2 to two loss. I thought that was very interesting. That uh, I, I was a little bit, uh, uh, I won't say disdainful, but second-guessing a little bit of the decision. I understand what they wanted to do with Spencer Martin, get a playing time cousin, and uh, to, to give the most of the load to Calvin Pickard and just have Smith back him up. But he, uh, I think he's earned another start. I don't know if he's going to get uh, tomorrow night in Nashville or not, Mike. Yeah. Bednar was kind of non-committal and would say said he was going to make up his mind later, and I kind of think that means it's going to be Jer- Jeremy Smith tomorrow night. But that was one thing on the on the trip. Uh, they were competitive in the garden, didn't embarrass themselves. You don't. I guess that's kind of almost condescending and insulting now when our standard is: do they embarrass themselves? But uh, you know, the Eastern trip, and I did think it was praiseworthy. But they did uh, beat Caroline in the last game. It was uh, interesting to see to uh, see Jacob Slavin playing for the, the, the Hurricanes, and I did a column and a story, a, a column on him essentially, the kid from Erie, kid, 22 years old from Erie, and and uh, so that was interesting. So it was a, it was an interesting trip. It's always uh, you know they they pulled off the Hudson triple of losing all three games to the Islanders, Rangers, and Devils. And it was interesting, again, to see the context of the Islanders trying to make a go of it in the Barclays Center, kind of coming to the realization, and I talked about this in the Sunday call, it it just isn't going to work there. And the Islanders are going to be getting out of the Barclays Center, maybe maybe as soon as after this season, uh, because anything is negotiable, even despite the... uh, escape clauses in the 25-year lease not kicking in until after next season for for uh, one side and then the next season for the other. All right, so we got that trip uh, in the rearview mirror. We had uh, a couple games uh, this past week uh, that the Avs went uh, 0-1-1. We got Nashville tomorrow, and then they're back home against Ryan O'Reilly and the Buffalo Sabres on Saturday. And then next week... Uh, before the trade deadline, I go to Philadelphia and Ottawa. Well, you know, I should jump in here, Mike, and I, I yeah. apologize for forgetting to mention this earlier. The other thing I did on that trip was speak to Ryan O'Reilly extensively in Buffalo, and that was for a column that, that uh, an avalanche journal that ran. So, you know, I'll probably post a link to that again when the Sabres come here rather than hash over it all again, but that that's something that was notable on the trip. And, and also my conversation. Joe Sackett about the imminent trade deadline, and we can get into that here yeah. in a sec. Yeah, let's do that right now. Uh, as I was saying about the schedule, 
um, we got the Sabres Saturday, and then we're back on the road. I'm on the trip to Philly and then Ottawa. I'm, I'm not going to go to that third game in Winnipeg. Uh, that's after the deadline, but uh, if anything happens with this team, before the deadline, we're going to be on the road there with them and hopefully have the first-hand news and all. But uh, let's just talk about the deadline. I think you and I both agree as this thing continues, we're both kind of feeling that this team might do little or nothing. I think Joe Sacking, in my conversation with him in Buffalo, uh, was dropping a little bit of a hint there that, hey, the deadline is a deadline, but that's a deadline now. It doesn't mean you can't do things over the summer. And I think the realization has kind of sunk in that the sense of urgency about the uh, about teams trying to bulk up for a playoff runner to make the playoffs has not been as uh, great a magnitude as perhaps the Avalanche hope and didn't up the offers into the stratosphere, which was the which the Avalanche were hoping the offers would be for Duchesne and Landeskog, especially, and that they might be able to get a better better deals over the summer. And I still think the, the major possibility also is that the Avalanche have, have tested the market for Landeskog and Duchesne. And although maybe the, the deals would kick up a little bit over the summer, the realization is sunk in. They're just not going to get what 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 they need to 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 send Duchesne and Landis Scott packing it down the road. And I, I strongly suspect my feeling has kind of come around to that, that uh, the Avalanche will not trade either Duchesne or Landis Scott, and at least not now. And I also, uh, you know, and I, I think that's going to settle in here and it's going to be reality come the, come the trade deadline. Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm in agreement, Terry. Uh... I think there's 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 two major reasons why uh, a lot of these playoff-bound teams are are not uh, uh, as interested as perhaps they might be in past years. One, a lot of these teams are against the cap, and obviously that happens every year. But you know, the expansion draft has changed the outlook because, say, you acquire Matt Duchesne, well, that means that you have to protect him and maybe not protect another valuable forward uh in june so it's uh it's it's somewhat dicier than it has been in the past and and i agree with you i don't think joe sakic is going to move either of those two guys unless it's the perfect deal for the avalanche but well the other thing mike is you know how much you you know how much magician likes to play center yeah and And i think a lot of teams out there looked at his his production under Patrick Watt when he played wing uh, and think that maybe that's where he would be better but you know you don't want a guy who's really playing out of position and not really enjoying it I realize that winning can be the panacea for a lot of that but uh, I think teams are looking at that and uh, maybe not looking as Matt at Matt Duchene as a top line type center they're looking at him as as a wing, and I think that that's entering into it a little bit. Matt Duchene is highly regarded around the league, and yeah, I think the interesting thing, Mike, is how much of the dynamic has changed with the Avalanche's struggles. And the, you know, do, do teams look at it and say, you know, Duchene and Landis Scott can only do, and and the other McKinnon and Brandon can only do so much. You know that I mean, we've even see it now. The Avalanche essentially have four forwards who are trying to figure out where to put them. And uh, you know they've left uh, the the uh, 
the McKinnon line together now. But, you know, the idea of whether the Avalanche struggles have teams saying, God, there's only so much they can do, or that has them saying, hey, if these guys are so good, they should be able to be more electric and more dynamic and make this team something other than the absolute worst team in the NHL. There's a very realistic, I think, understanding of how how problematic the Avalanche's talent depth is right now when you have Matt Nieto walk, basically walking right in and after being waived by San Jose and being one of your top six forwards. I think that, that illustrates a problem. Same thing with Mark Barbario, and he claimed on waivers from Montreal coming in and essentially looking like one of your best defensemen. I mean, that, that illustrates the problems. But I, I kind of wonder, and I, I kind of wonder how much that's affected the trade value of Duchesne. I wish I could kind of get inside of the heads of some of the NHL people on that, and I've tried to, but it, it's, uh, I think it's a little bit muddy about how whether this is affected the marketability and the image of guys like Matt Duchesne and Gabe Landeskog. You know, Terry, uh, I've, I've done the math. Obviously, I'm a little more concerned and a little more uh, aggressive in terms of the expansion draft and trying to understand all that. But uh, <laughs> I tease you about that. Yeah, uh, but I've done the math. Hey, you're going to lose a marginal player from the worst team in the league. So, well, my, so my point in all this is I've done the math, and every time I'm basically protecting Matt Nieto. And 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 the, the, it it depends if Francois Beauchemin waves is no trade, so he doesn't have to automatically have to be protected. I'm also protecting Mark Barbario. So there you go. These are two waiver pickups that I believe the Avalanche will protect in the expansion draft. That's that kind of says right there that this team is lacking in 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 skill and talent. But uh, yeah. Um, we were well, talking what, 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 you, you mentioned about Francois Beauchemin waving his no trade clause uh, for the purposes of the expansion draft <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know it's, it's almost become comical that I'm not sure guys, some players uh, well I think the Vegas Golden Knights will be a uh, a good landing spot for some players who just say it's a great way to finish out my career yeah, but I, I surely don't think that they're going to take a 36-year-old defenseman. Uh, so well, they, gotta, they, they, they have to take 60%, one player from every team, and get up to the value of 60% of the salary cap through the expansion draft. So I think there's going to be an occasion, maybe two two pickups by Vegas where you go, man, that's a big contract they're taking on. But I think they're looking at, well, they got to get up to a certain level anyway. So yeah. I think there's going to be a couple... God, you got me talking about the expansion draft. Shame <laughs> on me. Uh, I think there's going to be a couple surprise selections by Vegas in terms of contractual commitment simply because of that 60% figure. Terry, you and I were talking off air about uh, what the Avalanche may or may not do in terms of rebuilding this thing. And we've, we've both come to the conclusion that they might keep Landeskog, Andy Shane, and all of their other core players and just rid themselves of all of their UFAs and a couple RFAs and fill all those spots with young pieces. Well, I think it also it isn't even uh, debating the point of what's right or wrong. It's what Joe Sackett thinks and what he's going to do. And by the way, uh, I, you can correct me if you're wrong. You know, I mean, Josh Kroenke doesn't talk to a lot of people and keeps counsel to himself but I think 
the feeling is, and I know Joe Sackett thinks he's going to be back, wants to be back, assumes he's going to be back. And so I think even a proceeding on the possibility that these may not be Joe Sackett's decisions would be faulty. So I think it comes back to the point of what is Joe Sackett going to do? I think he really believes in this core in the sense of if they can uh, clear all the UFA money and start bring bring up the prospects for San Antonio, bring in uh, other young players that they can get this turned around. And, he, and, you know, the strategy, and we've talked about this many times, the strategy was coherent and defensible. The problem is uh, the talent, the core talent is not the same as the Chicago Blackhawks, for example. But Joe Sackick, I think, still has enough faith in that uh, he's not just going to blow it up. And, and I keep coming back to this. I've said it a million times, and I know a lot of people have. If he feels backed into a corner and that he's got to make a deal just to show people, to, to, to uh, show the jackals, so to speak, that he's doing something, that's a bad trade waiting to happen. And I think he realizes that and won't do it. And I kind of hope the reaction, and I'm sure I'll write this later in the week, if they don't make a deal, a major deal, uh, I think it's a continuation of Joe Sackett's policy. And you can say, well, I got they're the worst team in the NHL. But Joe Sackett really, truly believes there's light at the end of the tunnel and that uh, this this horrible season in the long run is part of a coherent policy and plan that will get them back among the elite. I don't know if that's right. Uh, right now, I'd have to say, geez, you know, I you have to show me that. But Joe Sackett really believes that. So I think that's, that, again, in my mind, uh, comes back to the point of, all these players, they've made the contractual commitment tying up to long-term deals. Uh, I think it, it is the policy they're going to, and the strategy they're going to continue to try to write out. Terry, it's a 23-man roster, or typically it is. Um, and when I go through the UFAs and some of the RFAs, this team potentially could get rid of 8, 9, or possibly 10 current players and that is a rebuild. I mean, if you're talking about t- uh, replacing eight, nine, or ten players, it, it, that certainly counts as a rebuild. So I want to go through that list here. In terms of the UFA forwards, we have Aginla, John Mitchell. Do you think anybody's going to – let me stop you there. Do you think anybody's going to take Jerome Aginla? I mean, the no. fact of the matter is Joe Sackick will give him away for anything. It's just a question of whether some team is uh, willing to step up and take him for the final – what, five weeks of the regular season for the, the minimal, well, the cap hit for that month and uh, the playoff run. Do you think anybody's going to take Jerome again? No. Uh, I, I, I'm, but, but I'm hoping. I'm really hoping. I'm crossing my fingers just because of who this guy is. He wants a shot, and I hope that he gets it, but I don't think he will. Well, that would be the reason he gets it is some team saying, you know, the intangibles of leadership uh, and uh, the, who he is walking into the room is uh, overwhelms the fact that uh, we, we would get limited minutes out of him in a limited role. Uh, but I don't think it's going to happen. I think there will be a lot of general managers who say, God, I'd really like to. I'd really like to do this, but I just can't. Let's go back to the rebuild uh, in terms of your f- uh, unrestricted free agent forwards, Jerome Aginla, John Mitchell, Renee Bork, and Andreas Martinson. I think among those... Martinson is the only one that uh, might come back, who might be re-signed. Essentially, um, for a you know a bargain basement salary and as a fourth line guy, 
Yeah. And, and as you know, Mike, uh, the National Hockey League needs more more Norwegians, so I think he has to he has to stay. Well, I I certainly hope that he sticks around. In in terms of defense and goal, uh, Fedor Tutin is a UFA along with Cody Gulabeff, and then Jeremy Smith and Net. I expect that they'll re-sign Smith because they really don't that they aren't very organizational deep in goal. Um, and I don't think that they'll re-sign Tutin or Golubev, and then there's a RFA in there, Patrick Weirkoch, that I don't think that they will make a qualifying offer. Do you think there's a possibility somebody somebody does give Joel Sackick a bucket of pucks for Tutin? I y- yes, I, I I do too. I, I think, think that's the one name we we might have overlooked a little bit uh, too much in all this process. And I, I think I think a playoff team might take to as kind of defensive insurance. Yeah, he's he's 33. He's uh, he's a good guy. He's a high character player. He works hard. Um, I certainly think that he would uh, help a playoff team in need of a a third pairing D for sure. Um, let's move on to uh, well, anything else in terms of the trade deadline? I think we've kind of gone through what uh, we think might happen. And talked yeah, about there's the really, there's really two issues: whether they unload any of their pending UFAs, and whether they trade Landis Cogger to Shane. And uh, I think we've we've covered that. I, I don't think he, uh, Aginla is still the prime candidate there on on the UFA side to, to leave. Well, either Terry or me will I be mean, a... in terms of vision, in terms of prominence. I don't think it's the most likely to happen, but he's the most prominent player. Terry, you and I will be at uh, every game, uh, either you or me, the rest of the uh, month heading into the uh, trade deadline and beyond. And then afterwards, I'm going to spend a lot of time with those DU Pioneers. I'm uh, I'm already booked for their conference championships in Minneapolis. And uh, this is a team that's going to probably be have a number one seed at the NCAA tournament regional. And I expect them to get back to the Frozen Four. A big reason why is Will Butcher. He's the senior D, team captain, does it all. Not very big, doesn't skate especially well, although I guess it's more of his stride that he gets to places just fine, but uh, he doesn't have the best stride. But certainly draft rights, Mike? The Colorado Avalanche. This is a kid that does everything right. Uh, but he he's he's not blessed with a great stride and he's not blessed with great size. But uh, he this kid can play hockey and the uh, Avalanche uh, has been scouting him all year. Brett Clark has been at pretty much every home game and then Craig yeah, Billington. Yeah, he, he talks to him after after the game. Yep, too. and I'm we've seen him. Up, sure, yeah. And then Craig Billington is going to uh, scout. Butcher at both uh, DU games this weekend against St. Cloud State. So I think having Brett Clark along the whole way and then now having uh, Craig Billington step up, uh, I think the Avs are real serious about this kid. And, and uh, well, I think it's, a, it's an organizational change of opinion, particularly after Patrick Wall left. Patrick yep. was determined to get uh, the Avalanche bigger and stronger on defense and, and saw Will Butcher as kind of an undersized guy, which he is. And I think they. Don't you think I'm right? Didn't they kind of step away from him for about a year? Yeah, and they actually told his agent to tell the player, and uh, I, 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 I could not understand uh, 
that reasoning to tell a junior, a college junior, that the uh, team that drafted him has no interest in interest in signing him over the next 16 months. Uh, and I talked to a lot of other people who didn't understand that either. But then all of a sudden, Patrick Waddle leaves, and the Avalanche now are interested in in the player again. And, and, and I think I th- I think he's going to be a good pro. I don't know if he's going to be a good NHL player, but. Will Butcher is going to be a good professional hockey player. Well, could he be a good? Could he be a, a, Could he be among the six-man defensive core of the Colorado Avalanche? Well, next season, I, I, as as you pointed out off air, you you don't think that this is a team that can carry Tyson Berry and Will Butcher? No, I no. There's no way you could have them both in your six-man core. And as I argued, no Will way. Butcher is a better defender. Okay. I would say Tyson Berry is a better offensive player, but in terms of defending, uh, I, think some, I think some of Will Butcher's strengths are things that you really value and prize in a bigger physical package, and so he would have to be truly an extraordinary talent in, in that size for me to be able to think that he could uh, stick in the Avalanche's top six and essentially force force them to do something. With Tyson Berry, but I think you, I think uh, here's here's another realization, and I think you'll probably agree with this. I think Tyson, what's happened this year has made Tyson Berry virtually untradeable too. Yeah, uh, Terry, last last night's performance was, uh, you know, I saw the highlights, uh, I saw the goal highlights after I watched the game, and man, LA's two goals, Tyson Berry just wasn't good enough. Uh, his poke checks were off. He lost foot races to the puck, to the net. Uh, I, I just I thought last night was a glaring example of why you do not want Tyson Berry playing 20 minutes a game. Well, he looks a little lost out there defensively and sort of always has, but I, I also think, you know, in this game you can always try to focus on the defenseman for every goal that's scored and, and pick their game apart. But I think in this, in this case, Patrick Waugh's belief that Tyson Berry was a number five defenseman who with power play specializations could get 16 to 20 minutes a game in games where you have a significant number of power plays. And uh, I think that notion was kind of laughed at last year by a lot of fans and other people, but I think it's absolutely right. We're not saying Tyson Berry's not a good player. It just depends on, it just comes down to how you use it. And I, I think the idea of him as a fifth defenseman and as a power play deployment type guy, well, overtime too, you got to throw that in there. That uh, I think he's he's a valuable commodity, not at four years, twenty-two million dollars, and and uh, perhaps at the cost of doing other things, other moves. Real quickly, going back to Will Butcher, he uh, he could be an unrestricted free agent on. August fifteenth, if he prefers not to sign with the Avalanche or is not offered a contract, I I don't know if this is a guy who could help the Avalanche next season as a rookie coming out of college, but I do think the Avalanche are going to try to sign him. Uh, organizationally, they can use this kid in the minors, um, but again, Will Butcher has some cards that he could play here. Um, he he's. He, He's drafted almost four years ago, so he has the right as a college player after four years that he can choose to go 
the UFA route. So it's going to be interesting how all this plays out, but I do think that uh, this kid is going to sign a, a contract and he's going to he's going to be in the pros next year. I'm not sure if he'll make the NHL. Well, we've seen a lot of examples of where uh, where either undrafted guys or guys whose draft rights have lapsed end up getting better deals than they, <laughs> they would have previously anyway. So Will Butcher may end up coming out better in all of this, whether it's the, the Avalanche or anybody else. Yeah. Terry, it's 5 o'clock somewhere, and it is actually 4.30 here in Nashville. Mm-hmm. And Ripley's and Tootsie's and all, and all the other ones. Rippies. Isn't it Rippies? Did, did I say Ripley's? Yeah. No, it's Rippies. Okay. I know my Rippies and I know my Tootsie's. And I know my stage, and I'm looking forward to go over there and uh, hearing some music and having a couple beers. Thanks for joining me today. Uh, thanks to all the people who listen to us. This is Traffic in Front of the Net. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs>